Rockies in here. And um, I know that we're all coming from different places in here, that we're all in different places spiritually and different walks of life and experiences in here today. And, and really, I'm just grateful to have you here right now. I'm grateful that you guys are here to listen. Uh, whether it's your first time to church here, if you're a guest, um, there's a few uh, people in the audience who are special guests to me. And I just want to say that I'm so grateful today to have my sister, my brother-in-law, my mom and dad here in service. If you guys could stand up for me. Yeah. Yeah, there they are. Sorry to make you guys feel awkward, but if you guys want to introduce yourselves to them and make them feel welcome after, that'd be great. Go ahead and swarm them. Give them a hard time. Uh, tell them they, you know, that this is all their fault. You know, And uh, it, it's great to be here with you guys. Now listen, I have a little exercise that we're going to start out with. You guys ready? You guys ready? Okay. Well, it's not that kind of exercise. But what we're going to do is I'm going to have you do something. Maybe some of us at some point in time have felt like God really wasn't listening. Like he's very old. He's been around since like the beginning. So maybe he's just not hearing so well. And, you know, he's got gray hair and he's sitting up on a throne somewhere. And maybe he's just a little bit distant. He's inattentive. Or he's uncooperative. He's just not a cooperative God. Or he's a little bit late. He's a little bit late. And, and maybe some of us had uh, parents who, who showed up late from time to time and left us waiting at school from time to time. Dad. <clears throat> and um, we, we actually feel like, and, and we project that on who God is, um, and our current situation makes us feel like God is not really there for me. God's not, maybe he's just not even there. So what I want to do for this exercise, I want to have everyone close their eyes. Whether you're Christian, not a Christian member, first time here, whatever. Go ahead and just close your eyes. Everyone close them. Even those of you who are very reluctant to participate in these types of things, I'm not going to do anything. Okay? It's okay. You know, just go ahead and close your eyes. Now, if you've ever felt in some way like God has been inattentive, that God has been uncooperative, or God has been late, what I want you to do right now is keep your eyes shut. Everyone keep their eyes shut. Raise your hand if you felt that way about God at some point, given point in time. Maybe not right now, but at some point you felt like God just is not listening. God just not is helping me. Keep your hands way up. Get them up there. Get them way up there if you feel that. If you feel like it's been there, keep your eyes shut. Now, keep your hands up and everybody go ahead and open your eyes. Oh, what? It's like Everybody. It's like everybody feels that way. Like we've all felt that way, whether you're, you know, you're a Christian and faithful or not. We've all go, gone through some hard times. We've all felt this. So, you know, we feel like we're alone. We feel like I'm the only one who feels that way. Because when we're going through those desert times, when we're going through a time of testing, when we're seeing the storm and we're out there in the middle of the ocean and there's huge surf and, and we're scared for our life, we think we're the only one going through that. And we think that we're the only one that feels that way about God, but you know what even makes it worse? The worst part about it is when you come to church and there's a guy like me who tells you that maybe you're just not faithful enough. Or maybe you, you just need to pray. Have you tried praying? No. Never considered that. That really helps. They tell you you haven't been obeying the Bible or something like that, that there's something surely that you're not doing. And that's why you're in your situation, because you haven't been faithful enough. So guys like me, we make it harder for you, you know, and uh, I'm totally behind on my slides here. I'm sorry. Uh, so 
here's the preacher, you know, even worse is guys like me. You know, we stand up here and we try to make it worse for you. We tell you, you need to pray more. We tell you, you need to be more obedient. And we tell you, you need to be more faithful. But you know what? Some of my close friends who, who are actually like Christians, and they're great guys. Like, I have some great friends here in the campus ministry. And I want to tell you about one of my junior college students. And he's one of my close friends, and I've known him for a long time. And, and he's one of my bros. Like, he's close to me. And so I, I kind of want to not, like, reveal, like, who, you know, who he is. But, you know, he, uh, you know, I'll be going through a hard time. I'm like, yo, I'm just so angry. I'm, I'm like, having a hard time. I'm struggling. I'm like, I'm not doing well right now, dude. I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm like not, you know, bro, don't imitate this. If you're imitating anything in me, don't imitate this, okay? Because right now I'm struggling. And, and then he says something to me that's like, it's a, there's a nugget of truth in there. That there's something good in there. It, it may be true. Like all those things, like if you pray, if you're faithful, those things are good. But and he's like, bro, sounds like God's really trying to teach you something right now. Gabe, I mean, <coughs> dude, dude, <coughs> I don't need to hear that right now. <laughs> that, that's not what I was looking for. You know, a little bit of, hey, I'm sorry. Sounds like you're going through a hard time. That's rough. You know, that, that, that would have been good things to hear at that time. And so, you know what also makes it, ma- makes it worse is, is when we look around and we see people that just got it all together. You know, I don't know what your uh, living room looks like or your bedroom, but I know that, like, when I see this, I'm like, <laughs> you know, if that were my house, first of all, I wouldn't have that really nice stuff, and it probably wouldn't be all, like, color-coordinated like that and everything, and, and it wouldn't be that clean. But for sure there would be, like, the dog would have left some trash that he pulled out of the bathroom, and it would be, like, out there. And my kids would have, like, painted on that table by now, you know, and, and I would have sanded it and, 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 like, used every chemical possible. Then it kind of started to discolor a piece of the table. And you're like, you know, it's got sanding marks and like discoloration. And, you know, you'd probably have some pen and, on, and, and some tears on, on the couches. And, and I would just have more clutter. There'd just be more stuff everywhere. My wife says, I don't remember it being like this when we were younger. I was like, babe, we didn't have kids and a dog. I'm like, we have four-year-old kids that just like distribute stuff everywhere. And so we go and we see these people who just have it all together. And we're like, dude, this guy, he's got it all together. The guy's like in shape. He makes money. He, he's, he's getting it done. He's getting the promotion. He's scoring the goals. He's the guy who's scoring, you know. And, and you're like, this guy's got it all together. And he doesn't even go to church. On Sunday, he goes surf. He goes surfing on Sunday. He goes, he goes and plays golf on Sunday. And you're like, dude, I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm trying to, like, be a good guy. And, and this guy's all He doesn't even go to church. And then you go to your small group and, and you try to participate in your small group. And in your small group, you're going in there and you're like, you haven't had a job in six months. Or you have some health issues that are plaguing your family. And you're, and, and you're going in there and you have some serious stories to unveil. You have some serious, like, drama, inner turmoil that you're ready to, like, 
pull out and get real with and you have this small group that you're participating in and you're giving it a chance and you don't even want to go because you're struggling really. And you go there and in this small group, you know, one of, one of the, the guys in there, one of the girls in there, they start sharing about how good God is. God is faithful. God has, has fulfilled his promises. That they were at Costco the other day and they chose the right line. And you're like, um, yeah, I, I have like real things I'm struggling over. And your trivial prayer about getting the close parking spot or getting in the right line at Costco really doesn't help me. And so sometimes we go into these situations and no matter where you're at in your faith, I don't know if some of those situations apply to you. But what do you do when God is inattentive? What do you do when God's inattentive? What do you do? Because we've all felt those things. We've all felt this way. What do we do when when God is not answering our prayers, not giving us the things that we want when we want them. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you a short story about a king, three sons, a lady, and her daughter. And then there's this other guy who's really the story is about. Because what we're going to tell you over the next couple of weeks is we're starting a series. And it's called When God. When God is inattentive. When God is uncooperative. And when God is late. Because God is none of those things, but we feel those things from time to time. And so we have some guys that we're going to tell you about, biblical stories, guys in the New Testament, that they did what they were supposed to be doing. They were good guys. They were obedient to God. God knew their name. God loved them. God, they, they were living out God's purpose for their life. However, at the end of it, they went through a hard time. They went through a hard time. And they, the end of their stories wasn't necessarily necessarily the story that they would have written. So I'm going to start off today talking about a king, and that's King Herod the Great. And King Herod the Great, he's not one of those great men. He's not one of those three men that we're using as an example, but this is, I'm opening up into the story here. And first, you've got to know who King Herod the Great is. He's not a great guy. What he is, is he was a great builder. He was the great builder. He built a lot of things, but as far as like who he was, he was an awful guy. He was not a good guy. Caesar Augustus said it would have been better to be one of this guy's swine than to be one of his sons. Because he had a number of wives. He had six wives, so he had six mother-in-laws. He, he executed a couple of his wives. And uh, he actually, uh, I don't know if you've had problems with your mother-in-laws, but um, he actually uh, executed one of his mother-in-laws. And he uh, executed a number of his sons as well. And so, but we're going to talk in, in particular about three of his sons. Okay, Herod the Great had, the first one I'm going to tell you about is Herod Antipas. Okay, so Herod Antipas, he ends up, when, when Herod dies, because Herod dies and Rome splits up his kingdom. And he gives it to two of the three sons that I'm going to tell you about. And the first one is Herod Antipas. And he gets Galilee. That's the northern part. And that's kind of where John the Baptist, Jesus spent a lot of time up there. And the other brother was named Herod Archelaus. Archelaus. So Herod Archelaus, and Herod Archelaus, he's not going to be involved too much in the story, but it's good for you to know that when his kingdom split up, Herod the Great, it was given to two of his sons. Now the third one was left out. He wasn't given any, um, any kingdom, he wasn't, uh, but he was still powerful and he still had great wealth. And so he marries a girl named Herodias, who actually is uh, in their family pool somewhere because you know Herodias you see it's there you know and she's she's involved in some way because their family is full of drama and so Herod Philip 
and Herodias, they have a daughter named Salome. Just so you know, guys, who I'm introducing here, these are the bad guys. These are the bad guys who I'm introducing, okay? They're, they're king over Israel, okay? These are the kings over Israel, but they weren't Jewish or anything like that. So what happens is I'm going to take out from, from the, the, the graph here that we have, and I'm going to show you just the people who we need to be talking about. I'll take out Herod um, Archelaus, and I'm going to show you just Herod Antipas, okay, and his brother, Herod Philip, because here's what's important is he marries Herodias, has a daughter, Salome, and then um, Herodias goes and runs off with her husband's brother. She goes and instead, you know, Philip, he's not a king over anything. She goes and she marries Herod Antipas, who is the king over Galilee. So now Herodias becomes, she was just, you know, Philip's wife. She wasn't a queen or anything. Now she's going to be queen over Galilee. So she goes and she's going to live in, in the king's palace there in Galilee. And now enters a scene, a hero, John the Baptist. And he's, he's the person who we can follow and we can imitate and we can pull out something here for us to leave with because we came in here feeling like God was inattentive. But my hope is that when you leave here, you're going to feel like there's hope because we're going to draw some conclusions from what we see in John the Baptist. He went in and preached a simple message. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop sinning. Whatever it is that you're doing, stop doing it. And what he did is he, he actually called out the sin because Herodias was living with her brother, her husband's brother. And so John the Baptist is calling out. He's like, this is not right. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 3 and verse 19. When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, he added this up to them all. He locked John up in prison. So John gets thrown into prison because he's there calling out Herodias' sin. He's calling out Herod's sin. He's saying, you guys can't be doing that. You can't be, you're living in sin. This is not right. Okay, so this is the plot and the plot gets thicker. So we know there's that whole family drama between the Herods and we got John the Baptist. He enters the scene. He's calling him out. He gets thrown in, in, into jail because um, Herodias just hates him. So we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter six and verse 17. It says, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and have him bound and put into prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful to you, for you to have your brother's wife. So he's calling it out. He's saying this is not lawful. And, and I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're a Jew. I don't care if you don't believe in God. What happens in your family when you steal your brother's wife? That's not good. That's going to cause some drama. That's going to cause some division in your family. So Herod, he kind of knows what's up. And he was actually afraid. He was afraid. It says, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So we see here Herodias is just, she knows what she's done wrong. She knows, she knows she's in sin and she just wants to kill him. And Herod, he's afraid of John. Because he's trying to keep down an uprising. He's trying to hold on to this kingdom. He's, you know, he's there. He knows that the people's folk hero, John the Baptist, if he's to kill this guy, it, it could cause an uprising. But it says here that he was greatly puzzled and that he liked to listen to him. 
that he actually wanted to hear what John had to say. So it's like, you know, they're there and, and they call and say, hey, where's John the Baptist? John the Baptist. Call him up. I want to hear him. Why don't we bring him in here? Let's listen to some of his wild stories because he's a crazy preacher. He's a wide-eyed, wild-eyed preacher that's going to get up here and he's going to, you know, say some crazy stuff. And John goes up there and he's like, you know, you're, you're living in adultery. It's not right. And he's like, yeah, I know that. Let's, let's hear something else. Let's hear some. Give me some more stories. And so he was greatly puzzled, but he actually liked to listen to him. John the Baptist had done everything he was supposed to do. John the Baptist had lived the life that God had called him to live. God knew his name. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He actually baptized Jesus. He was the guy who baptized Jesus. Now, I've done some cool things in my life, you know, but dude, I mean, he baptized Jesus. This guy's the man. He's done everything he could to live out God's will for his life. And maybe you feel like that's you. Maybe you feel like there's been a time in your life where you've done what God asked you to do, that you've tried to live out what God has asked you to live out. And things are not going your way. And you're feeling like John here in the dungeon. So John's down there in the dungeon. John's rotting away in a Herodian dungeon, prison cell, whatever. And he can't see past those walls. His world, his worldview shrinks down to the size of his dungeon. And he can't see past his dungeon cells. So he calls in his disciples. So he's there in prison. He's had all these great highs. He, you know, he, he saw Jesus. He baptized you. He says, that's the Messiah. That's the Messiah. Go follow him. And now he's sitting there in this dungeon and he calls his, some of his disciples close to him. And he says, guys, I'm going through a hard time. I need you to do something for me. And the disciples are like, well, yeah, John, what is it? And he, you know, what do you need? What do you need? I'm here for you. And look at this scripture and what he says. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So he's in prison and now he's asking his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really, are you really the one? His faith is apparently trickled and, and, and evaporated to nothing. That he's in there. And, and imagine his disciples are there and, and they're like, we're here, John. What would you like us to do? And he's like, I need you to go to Jesus. Got it? Go to Jesus. And ask him if he's the Messiah. Now, now John, do, do you remember? You, you told us to follow him. You baptized him. You know, this guy, you, Jesus, your cousin, your cousin, Jesus, that you're asking me to go ask him if he's the Messiah right now. You told us that he was. What happened, John? What, you know, you know, John, Jesus might be in the middle of something. It might be kind of like hard to approach Jesus about that. You know, Jesus rebuked people for the lack of faith and he commended people for their faith. You know, and if John, if I was John's disciple and I was there in that situation, I know I might be like, uh... Go ask the guy if he's the Messiah. Okay, right. Okay, so <laughs> when, when we're in the cell, when we're there in the cell like, like John was in the cell, we can have selfish faith. And this is the tendency for all of us, that we have a selfish faith. That our circumstances affect our faith. And you may say, no, they don't. You say, I'm really spiritual. 
you know, when hard times come, I'm just faithful. You know, and some of us in here are more spiritual, but I know if you're anything like me, that I know my circumstances, my circumstances really affect my faith. And that's just true. That's just true. When you hit hard times, someone dies in your family. When you go through a hard time, when you lose a job, when your kid who you're trying to, to raise them up in a right way and they're, they're going their own direction and you're hoping they're going to come back, when you're going through a hard time, I pray. When you go through a hard time, when an earthquake hits your country, I pray. I might even send money. I might even give. You say, you know, I want to go home. I need help for money. We might support you in your mission because you're going through a hard time. I'll pray. I'll give. But when I go home at the end of the day, I think I go back to sleep. And I go to sleep at peace that night because I'm not the one going through the hard times. Because it's you or it's your country. It's your kingdom going through a hard time. Now, when I go through a hard time personally, what happens is I lose faith. I lose faith. So when I go through a hard time, I lose faith. When you go through a hard time, I pray for you. But at the end of the day, I, I can be at peace. I can be at peace with God. But when, I, when situations are tough for me, it's tough for me to see that God is still working. I lose faith when God is inattentive to my needs and my prayers. And this is just the truth. This is just what happens. And you could say, no, I'm super faithful. That doesn't happen to me. Maybe you're like the 5% in here that's like more faithful than the rest of us. But I think for most of us, we can relate to that. When we go through hard times, we lose faith because we feel like God is inattentive to my happiness. To the things that I think that I need and I want. We all will go through dry seasons. You will go through a dry season. Teens right now, you guys feel like you're not maybe going through a dry season, but there's some point in your life, you're going to get older, you're going to die, people around you are going to die, you're going to see uh, the economy fluctuate. And so right now, teens and college students, you may not see that you're going to go through hard times. But there will be a time when relatively to your life, you're going through the hardest time of your life. I know for me, the hardest time of my life, bar none, hands down, was my experience moving to Central America. I moved to Central America um, a couple of years ago now, about three years ago now. And uh, when we moved there, uh, I, I was bright-eyed and I had vision. It had been a dream of mine to do that. And that first year was the hardest year of my life. You know, my, my, grandmothers, two, my grandmothers had passed away around that time frame. Um, one of my family me- members uh, was diagnosed with... with um, um, an incurable situation that, that was going to make them deteriorate. And, uh, you know, that, that was really hard for me during that time frame. And I didn't speak Spanish. And I had no job. And I had no friends. And I was living with my in-laws. And I didn't really have a plan B or a good strategy. I mean, I went there, and it was like, there's just no question. That was the hardest time of my life. And there was nothing growing up in the bubble of South Orange County that could have prepared me for the difficulty (laughs) that I went through. There's no class that I could have sat through that would have taught me. No words, no prayer, nothing that would have prepared me for the experience that I had and that difficulty in that first year. It was so hard. It was so hard. And so you will go through dry seasons. And when you go through dry seasons, 
you will shrink down to the size of who you really are. You will shrink down to the size of the cell that you're in. And you won't be able to see past the walls of the cell that you're in. That's just what happens. And I know for me, a lot of people would ask me and they would wonder how I was doing. And I remember I would talk to people on that and I don't think I realized what a hard time I was really having. Because it was so hard for me. And, and I don't know if for you, maybe some of us lost your jobs during the recession. Some of us lost homes during the recession. And we have seen harder times than we have ever seen before. You know, for the teens in campus, I want to tell you, maybe your parents went through a divorce. And that was the hardest thing you've seen. Maybe one of your older brothers or older sisters left home and, and don't have a great relationship with your parents any longer. Maybe you lost something or one of your friends that was close to you. Maybe one of your friends died in a drunk driving accident or for some other reason. So I don't know about you, but all of us are going to go through a dry season. All of us will hit hard times and our faith will be exposed for who we are. And our cells will shrink down to the size of the cell that we're in, to the skin that we're in. And, and this, is just, this is just reality. This is a pain scale right here. And, and this is true. So on, on the left-hand side is no pain. And then on the right-hand side is the worst pain you could experience. Now, my wife's pregnant, and we're doing about three weeks with a boy. So that's really encouraging. I'm, I'm so grateful. Now, when women go through labor, I don't know what level it is, 8, 9, 10, but it's somewhere up there, probably on the 10 scale. Is that right, ladies? Beyond 10. Uh, Pregnancy is beyond 10. Okay? Now, when a, when a pregnant lady, you know, is going through labor, they will curse, they will spit, they will punch, they will grab, they will claw. They're going, they don't care about your pain. They don't care about what you're going through. Or if you have a headache and you're, their screaming is hurting your headache. They do not care. And I wanted to relate in some way, and, and I don't feel like I really can, because, you know, you, I, I'm not going to go through that, you know? And, and, you know, us as guys, we can't relate, so I'm not going to try to give you some amazing example that relates to that. Instead, I'm going to, like, dumb it down a little bit. Um, for me, I grew up having bad ankles. So I have, like, misformed feet. So I have, like, feet where the bones are not, like, correctly formed. And if you took an x-ray, the bones are not, like, in the right position. And they discovered that when I was about four or five years old. And so since I was four or five years old, I've had this handicap or this, uh, this, this thing that said, you're not like everybody else, you know, and, and you know, you're, you're a little bit different. And so for me, that was something that like was really hard for me growing up. But um, what it did is I've collapsed arches and what it does is kind of pushes my, my toes outward, my outward pinky toes. Okay. And, and so what that does is, you know, your foot, when it travels, it's going like 50 miles an hour or something just when you're walking. Okay, so I'm walking by a piece of furniture and then crack and I catch that pinky toe on the corner of a chair. And I'm like, oh, and and I'm down on the floor and I'm, you know, my kids could be screaming and and they could have their finger trapped or they're hitting each other and fighting. And I'm like, I don't care what's going on around me. My pinky toe. It, I'm shrunk. I'm shrunk down to the size of my pinky toe. That's all I am right now. 
There's nothing else. It's just my pinky toe. I'm like trapped inside my pinky toe and it's exploding my brain. So I, I know that's not like pregnancy, but I wanted to give something that like related in some way. So when you feel pain, you're shrunk down to the size of your cell. And, and that's what just happens. You, you get to a point where you can't care about anyone else outside of yourself because you're feeling such intense pain. And you guys have probably seen that. At very worst, you've seen it in a movie. So John's world became no bigger than his cell. And so how does Jesus respond when his disciples go and talk to him? And Jesus, the disciples go up to Jesus and they're like, they're like, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me. And he's like, yeah, what do you need? I'm about to feed 5,000 people. What's up? Yeah, I'm about to do some great things over here and some miracles. What's going on? Right, about that. Um, you ask him. He has a question for you. Not me. Some faithful. Faithful right here. <laughs> like, I don't even need to ask. You know, I know you're the man, you know, and, and so Jesus, Jesus is there. He's like, what's up? And they're like, well, you, you know, your cousin, John, he's going through a rough patch right now. You, you know, he's in prison, right? Yeah, he's in prison. So he's in prison and he actually has this question. It's so dumb. I don't even know what he's thinking, but, but listen, he had this question. He wants us to relate to you and I hope you're not insulted in any way, but, um, he wants to know if you're the Messiah. And so Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to break him out tonight. We're going to go get him out of jail. Let's go. Let's mount up. We're going to go get Jesus out. No, he didn't say that. He said, <laughs> Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. You know why? Because John can't see. John can't see past his circumstance. John can't see past his situation. He says the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are clean, are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So he lists out some things for him to go. Go say, these are some things that you're seeing. Go report those. But he says, wait, there's more. That's not it. The disciples are like, got it. Okay, check. They're writing it down. They're taking notes. They're there. They're like, deaf, blind, uh, what was the last one? He's like, oh, got it. Okay. So they're like, got it, Jesus. We'll go tell him that, what we see, what we hear. And then he says, but wait, wait. I haven't told you the most important thing yet. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And the disciples look at him. Wait, what? <laughs> What's that? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Okay. So, Jesus, you're telling me you might do something to make him stumble? You're going to do or not do something that might make him fall away on account of something that you are doing? So, you don't like him. You don't like your cousin. You don't like John the Baptist. You're holding some childhood grudge that he was like the bigger than you. And he kind of like when you were younger, he would like tie you up and, and like do stuff to you and like hold you down. And, and this is your like way of like getting back at him or what? But Jesus says, no, let me tell you about John the Baptist. He says here, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, that's everyone. That's pretty much all of us. Okay. 
that's like out of anyone among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So pretty much Jesus is like, he's the greatest guy who's ever lived. He's the greatest man ever. There's never been anyone greater. Have you ever called someone a good guy? Yeah, he's a good guy. You know, Jacob Arjon, he's a good guy. You know that guy. Dude, can't say a bad thing about Jacob Arjon. He's awesome. You know, good guy. You know, Herod the Great, not a good guy. But here, Jesus says, this is the greatest guy who's ever lived. He's your cousin. He's, he's done God's will. And you're going to leave him in prison? Why are you going to leave him in prison? What do we need to take away from that? What do we need to take away from what Jesus said there? That no matter how faithful you are, no matter how obedient you are, no matter how prayerful you are, there are times where God is going to say no. God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to give you the thing that you think you need and you think you want. And the thing that might sustain your life, he doesn't give it to you. God might say no. When you're in the desert, you will draw the conclusion that God is not very happy with you. Well, God just doesn't like me. God is not happy with me because of my current situation. And you need to know that your circumstances do not determine God's love for you. Your circumstances do not show God's love for you. I believe in prayer. I believe in obedience. I believe in being faithful to God. But there are times when he's going to say no. And you cannot let your current situation, let that determine the way that you think God feels about you. What needs to help us determine how God feels about us is when we look to the cross. You look to the cross. And that tells us how much God loves us. And that shows us that he will always love us and that he never left and he was never inattentive. That he was never unconcerned and he is never, never late when he pointed to the cross. So now what? Now what do we do with that? We, we understand that, that, that we need to look at the cross and, and we understand that, that when we go through hard times, we shrink down into who we really are. But now what? What do we do with that information now that we have it? We need to look outside of our walls. We we need to strive to look outside of our walls. You need to know that it's not your job. It's not school. It's not your family. No matter what's going on there, you have to look outside of those things. You have to remember the ways that God has answered your prayer. That when you did want that promotion, you prayed for it and you got it. When you prayed for that kid, you got it. That every day of your life until right now has been a gift from God. I heard, I heard this really riveting video this last week where this, this faithful man, his son passed away at the age of, I think, six. And, um, and, and it was very, all of a sudden, he was a happy, uh, I'm sorry, it was a girl. And, and it was a happy, normal daughter. And, and it shows videos of her playing and having a good time. And then within three months, she was diagnosed with brain cancer and she died. And it was really convicting because I thought of my girls and if that would happen to me. And I know there's some of you who have experienced that. And he was so grateful for every day that he had with his son. I mean, with his daughter. He was so grateful for the life that she had. And he didn't say, why, God, have you taken her away? But thank you, God, for giving her 
in the time that we had her. You need to look outside of your walls that we have it really good here. Maybe you need to get a passport and go to a third world country and visit El Salvador like I did and, and see what people really go through and it really boosts your encouragement and it boosts your faith. John's story ends. Basically, he gets beheaded. An opportune time came for Herodias. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So these are all the tip-top guys. These are the opinion leaders. These are the guys driving Galilee and his kingdom. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herodias and his dinner guest. She comes in. She dances. Everyone's pleased. This is Salome, Herodias' daughter. The king said to the girl, in his, he's a party guy. He's having a party. He's in the, woo, high spirits, drunk. He says, ask for me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And it promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So, teens, when you ask a teenage girl what she wants, what do you think she's going to respond with? I want a new iPhone. Or I want a new iPad. Or I want um, an all-expense, uh, season passes to Disneyland. Or maybe an all-expense paid trip to Hawaii. Worst case scenario, my biggest fear, I'm going to share my biggest fear with you right now, a horse. <laughs> no. So, so, but obviously he had the means to give her any of those things up to half his kingdom. He makes his promise. This is King Herod. And, and, and what does a teenage girl do when she's asked what she wants? What does she do? The first thing she does, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Something that no teenage girl would ever do. <laughs> okay, maybe, whatever. Okay. So she, she answers the head of John the Baptist. And once the girl hurried to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so that night, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, executed. And next, not long after, Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of humanity. And he prayed that there would be another way. Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, God, let's go with plan B. But at the end of the day, let your will be done. We see two men here who are founders of our faith. They're real men who are going through real struggles. They're going through difficulty. They, they, they want a different outcome. And God did not respond. God did nothing to stop Jesus from dying on the cross. But today we're celebrating it. 2,000 years later, we're celebrating Jesus' death on the cross, and it's still transforming our lives. God never moved an inch off his throne. God never got down from his throne. God never was, was off at the restroom or got tired and was taking a nap. God never moved an inch off his throne. When God is silent, you need to understand God is still there. When God is not answering your prayers, you need to know he is still concerned for you. The one thing that I want you guys to know is that blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That you won't stumble when God when things don't change, when things are not changing, you will not stumble. That you can still remain faithful. And you can still know that God loves you, even when things and circumstances look bad. 
God's love is not determined by the circumstances. Even when they look grim. God's love is not determined by the, by the circumstances. Never doubt. Never doubt. Never, never, never doubt. Always, always remember that God is concerned for you. That God has a will for you. And it's a good will. And God has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. God cares about your future. God cares about you. He created you to have a relationship with him. Blessed are those who refuse to stumble and fall away on account of Jesus. I hope you guys can leave here today with that understanding. You came in thinking maybe God sometimes isn't there, but you're going to leave here going, you know what? My circumstances don't determine it. I'm going to look outside the walls. I'm going to know that Jesus, even when there's inactivity, that God truly, truly, truly loves me. Right now, we're going to be passing uh, the bread and the wine uh, representing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for our sins and his resurrection. Let's go to God in a word of prayer and we're going to be taking communion. Father God, we know you are a great and mighty God, that you are powerful and that you are close. Father, we know you're capable of all things. And Father, I pray that today that we can know no matter what happens leaving here, no matter what happens with our circumstances in life, Father, that we will know that you love us. We'll know because of what you've done on the cross you sent your son, you care uniquely and specifically for each one of us, despite our circumstances. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for listening to our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.